Welcome to the Eclectic Folk Podcast, where we interview interesting people who might not otherwise be interviewed. I'm your host, Mr. Cat. Not my real name, but myself and my guests all have the option to use a pseudonym if we so desire. As oftentimes, people will speak more freely if they feel their anonymity is guaranteed. My guest today is Shui, and that is her real name. She didn't feel the need to go by a pseudonym. Shui is from China. However, I crossed paths with her in a mountain town in North America, where she now lives. She is a journalist by trade and used to work for publications such as the Financial Times, doing reporting in China. Currently, however, she is active in spiritual development and is writing her first book about her love affair with a Buddhist monk. I found her a fascinating individual with a sharp mind, and I hope you will too. Please join me in our fifth episode of the Eclectic Folk Podcast. Okay, we're live. Yay! I'm, I'm joined with Shrey today, and uh, Shrey, could you uh, briefly introduce yourself a little bit, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Xue. <laughs> Xue, Xue Zhao. Um, in Chinese, we say it the other way around. We say our surname first, so Zhao Xue. Uh, can we say where we are? Can I say? No, I'm trying to. No, you're you're, you're asking me to introduce myself. Yeah, tell me a bit. Tell tell us a little <laughs> bit about like what you do and um, what you're interested in these days. Sure. So I am a um, interpreter and translator and yoga teacher by trade right now, and uh, I um, I'm a meditator. I'm becoming a vegetarian again. Mm. Oh, I'm a tofu making, tofu enthusiast. I'm trying to make tofu. I've tried six times, five times, haven't been successful. And uh, I'm starting to write again. Mm. Um, I have a book project uh, about a part of my life. I'm from Beijing, China. I live in Canada. Can I say that? You can say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to avoid, for our listeners, I'm trying to avoid, um, like I'm I'm going, generally speaking, anonymous, and many of my guests prefer to be anonymous. In this case, Shui is fine with giving her real name, but I, for those people who do want to be anonymous, I don't want to give the exact location of where we are, just for their for their benefit. Sure. I live in a really beautiful mountainous town, a small town. That's fine. In Canada. That's good. And I have to say this because this is very new to me. And uh, uh, I'm 36. I guess for the first 33 years of my life, I've always lived in super mega huge cities Mm -hmm. like Beijing and um, 
other cities. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I live in a really small town in Canada. And I can see this beautiful mountain outside in a rainy day. It's I've been here for three years and it's still kind of exotic. And uh, so I enjoy looking. I'm sorry, I just keep looking outside of the window. Yeah, so this is where I am. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so usually in this show, I like to kind of go over the guest life. And then once we get to the present time, um, we'll explore some of the concepts and things they're interested in and what they're currently doing. Um, but your life, from what I understand, is interesting. You, I know you are from China and you've lived in a variety of countries. Can we talk a little bit about um, maybe where you were born and um, when you got sort of that that bug that bit you to want to travel and see more of the world. But let's start first, like, where were you born? Um, I always wanted to tell this story. <laughs> um, I was born in, um, in Beijing and in really quite this kind of the southern tip of Beijing, like the suburbs. Mm. I was born, actually, no, I was born in a village uh, in Beijing, in the southern tip of Beijing. What was it called? It's called, thanks for asking, because I wanted to talk about the town. Huh. Uh, the village is called Da Longfa, which basically is like the big wolf's village. Oh, cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, I lived there for six years, uh -huh. and then we moved into a small town. Well, much bigger than this town, <laughs> but small town, small, no, I shouldn't call that a small town. But then we moved to the suburbs, mm. pretty big town. What was it called? Yeah, right. I want to tell this. It's called a Yellow Village. It's called Huangsun, the Yellow Village. Okay. And I heard it when I was a kid because, you know, yellow means Huang. Yeah. Right. Huang, right. Huangsun, Yellow Village. And they say that it was called uh, Huangsun, the Yellow Village. It's because when the sandstorm comes, you know, the sky is kind of yellow-orange. So mm. they call it the Yellow Village. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a county. And uh, it's in a district called Daxing District. And that's where the new airport is. Uh, the, the new airport is in that district. Okay. So you said you wanted to tell a little bit about the town. What did you <laughs> want to say about it? Right, the, the Yellow Village. You know, I thought that was really cool that they just, that they say it. I think it was my father's uh, colleague who brought that up when I was a kid. Mm. He said, our town is called Huangsun, called the Yellow Village because of the sunstorm. Mm. And because uh, for me, growing up, in a place where there's sandstorm, it didn't feel like a thing. I just thought, oh, it's weird, you know, like it's orange. Mm. It's kind of interesting and it's windy. You have the sand in your mouth. Mm. But it was kind of normal because we grew up with it. Mm. And it was only when I was, uh, I guess in my 20s, probably. And then I learned, oh, that's because of the sandstorm, and that's because of deforestation, because of overpopulation, urbanization. And then I thought, oh, that was a problem. Because when you didn't know it was a problem, it was just normal. So there wasn't always sandstorms there before, like, say, 100 years ago, perhaps. 
before industrialization and before um I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I would assume, you know what? I would assume that there was always sandstorm. I would assume. I don't know. Uh. Sorry. Uh because of the location mm. and uh because you know we're just near the Mongolia, near Mongolia, and there was not a lot of trees, so probably, and it's very dry. Well, actually, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've told you this before, but uh, for our listeners, they might not know. I used to live in China, and I used to live in Beijing myself. So, uh, when we first met, we had a lot to talk about about that city and uh, some of our experiences there. Uh, long time ago for me, but it's a it's a really cool town. Yeah, it is. When were you there last time? When when what was the years? Well, I was last in China, um, actually just before the pandemic started. But I wasn't in Beijing. I think the last time I was in Beijing, gosh, probably twenty fourteen. Yeah. So you were there from two thousand nine. I fir I first went there actually in two thousand and seven, uh, and I just went there briefly, uh, and then I came back and lived there for like maybe three years from two thousand and nine, uh, and two until two thousand and twelve. Okay. I was there too. I know <laughs> you you told me that before. <laughs> right. I wonder if we've crossed paths there. We probably did. Maybe, maybe it's possibly. a big city. Yeah, it is possibly. But, but um, uh, we had that conversation. For example, you mentioned that you used to go to a place called the Bookworm, right? And I used to go there all the time too. Right. It's, it's uh, it was a, it was kind of like a bookstore. A I think a library. There were books all over the shelves. They'd have interesting speakers from around the world come and give talks, and they had good beer, from what I recall. And the food was okay, not bad. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we were there at the same time. Possibly. Yeah. From I went back to Beijing. I was yeah, so I graduated in 2007, finished my finished my first degree in 2007. And then uh I worked for a year. And then I went to London in 2008 and went back to Beijing in 2009. And then, yeah, until 2012. So. Wow. Yeah. We left at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Um, okay, so you're in the Yellow Village. Uh, when did you move? Did, when did you actually move to Beijing? <laughs> right. So when I was, um, because a lot of my relatives are still in the village. And I remember growing up. The village people will say, hey, where did you go? And they will say, I, we're going to Beijing, even though we were in the municipality of Beijing. But they will say, we're going to Beijing, like we're going downtown, we're going to Beijing. Yeah. And um, so I lived in so I lived in that village for right that big wolf village for six years. And then I went to primary school and middle school in um, the Yellow Village. And uh, so when I was in high school, I went to an elite school in Haidian district, which is like the um, university district. And uh, that's oh, in the northwest of Beijing, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. So all the tech companies, all the big universities and a lot of good high schools, too. Uh, so that was 2000, 2000, I think I went 
high school there for three years, and then I went to university in Beijing too. My first degree <clears throat> was in English.、Uh, What? Why did you want to study English? Because it was easy <laughs> for me, and also I think at that time, partly because I guess twofold. I think one was because it was easy, and the other was it was very it was popular. You know, like China was opening up a lot at that time, and it was very easy to get a job after you have a degree like that. And it was the case for me, and the case I guess because case getting a job was just. Always like that, and、uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people were studying English at that time. So, knowing English made getting a job much easier. Or was it like sp- certain kinds of jobs? Yeah,、or? certain kind of jobs. So I think at that time. So I went to university in two thousand three, and and at that time you either want to get a government job. A lot of people want to get government jobs. Uh, or you want to go to the foreign company, and then because they are better paid than government jobs, but government jobs has st- stability. And、uh, but I guess I didn't think that much about that. I was only seventeen.、Uh, I think I chose it because it was easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> you were sort of good in English in high school. You felt I was. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and.、Um... So in in university you studied、uh, English. Was that your? You also mentioned I think that you 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 were a journalist. So did you study journalism after, or was that part of your university education too?、Uh, no. So my degree was called business English. So、um, we had a lot of subjects. I think more than a lot of people with other majors.、Mm. So I had nothing to do with journalism. And uh, but um, when I was um, no, I didn't have any journalism training, and、uh, I went into the field of journalism because I had a job at that time, like a really boring, easy-paid job, and like an English major would get, <laughs> <laughs> and.、Uh, Uh, and I had that job just like that. Like my friend asked me, "Hey, do you want a job?" I said, "Yeah." And then I went to the interview and got it. And then that's just for me, life in Beijing, very easy.、Mm-hmm. And、um, and then when I was doing that boring job, I just thought it was too easy. And then I saw an ad at Danwei.org at that time, D A N W E I. I remember that website. Yeah, it's a very good. Website, but now they've moved into something much fancier.、Mm-hmm. But anyway, at that time, at Danwei Danwei dot org, they would publish job ads. And then this,、uh, then one day when I was really boring at my that at my easy job, I I looked. There was someone looking for a news assistant、um, at a news at a news organization. So I was curious, and、uh, I didn't mention how much it would pay. But I I just thought it might be interesting, more interesting, more interesting than what I was doing at that time, so I applied and got it,、mm-hmm. and、uh, so it was still better paid than my easy job, <laughs> which was good. Yeah, and、uh, and that opened my 
opened up my world. Okay. What what kind of things were you? So what was the publication, and what kind of things were you reporting for them? Yeah. So it was called、uh, Public Radio International. It's like the international version of NPR. And、uh, so it, at that time, it was a co-production with BBC World Service. Oh, so oh, I was I was assuming it was a Chinese. No,、uh, no,、okay. it's it was American, pure, purely American and British. Co, co. The co- office is in London. Okay. And、uh, it was uh, so um, yeah. So so the title is called News Assistant, and so basically. What I did was,、um, you know,、um, basically all the news, all the major international news organizations would have an office in Beijing, and、uh, and most foreign correspondents don't speak Chinese, and they would because it's just complicated, and they would need a news assistant to do their legwork, and、uh, so I did the legwork.、Uh, Which is kind of the exciting part, in a way. Yeah, yeah, that does sound kind of interesting. Were Were there any assignments that stuck out in your mind as something particularly memorable or interesting? Yeah, there were plenty. I think. Um. So I started that job in two thousand seven, and from two thousand seven September two thousand seven until August two thousand eight. So. There were a few things I should say. I'm really grateful for my first boss. She、um, she is one of the most professional journalists I have ever met in my life. Whose work I've seen is one of the best, like top notch in the world. I think she teaches at UCLA right now, and、uh, um, she really showed me the ropes and. She showed me about what journalism was, what investigative journalism was, in depth and、uh, really fair. And、uh, and two thousand seven, two thousand eight, especially the year two thousand eight was a really exciting year. But before, even before that,、um, one of my first that was the Olympics that year. Yes, exactly. One of the first things we did was I forgot the series. She was doing series in the beginning. She did the urbanization series, but then before that, uh, oh, um, the Beijing South railway station, which is probably still the biggest train station in the world, at least in Asia. And、uh, in two thousand seven, they were. Um, building the ground for that train station. So, where it is right now is near to a lot of the, how do you call that, courts in Beijing. So, China has a pretty, I would say, fucked up justice system. <laughs> a lot of other, you know, like a lot of other fucked up systems. Hmm. So, actually, that was my first assignment at work. To report the tearing down of the petitioner's village—that's what it was called.、Mm. That's where the current Beijing Southway rail station is. So,、uh, sorry, in what which village? Yeah, petitioner. So China has a petition system,、mm. and 
it's kind of like the official, the more official complaint system in North America. But you go through a procedure, like a, a complicated legal procedure. For example, hmm, okay. For example, if my husband or had some got injured at work, but then his 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 place doesn't gave him any compensation and he's paralyzed,、mm-hmm. and then I as the wife. You know, I'm a housewife, and he's the only he's the breadwinner of the family. So I lost, so he's paralyzed. So I lost everything, and then I petition. The system gives you the right to petition. So I petition to the local government. I, I petition against his company because they don't give him any labor compensation.、Mm. And then I petition to the local government. Then I petition to the higher government. I petition to the Supreme Court. It's just kind of like a bait to keep me going, but only maybe three out of ten thousand people can get actual compensation. Wow! So it's a it's a system to keep you going、mm-hmm. and keep your hopes high, but keep you crashed all the time. And if you are lucky, well, most people are not lucky. Because the system also forbid you to to petition. Because my local government, if they catch me, you know, petition to the hot to the Supreme Court. Say if I'm from a village in some rural part of China,、mm. and then my village committee caught me going onto the train in Beijing, they will beat me up, maybe rape me, and then you know maybe beat up my husband if I have children. You know, put my children somewhere to stop me. From petitioning, well, why do they care if you petition if it usually doesn't matter? No, because it's bad for their faith. It means that the local government didn't do a good job、mm. for their faith for their face. Right. Yeah. So and then they want to show that you know they are like a really good government. They serve the people and uh, um. Yeah, so I still remember I was twenty two at that time. So when we went to the petitioner's village,、um, uh, now I, now now I have now I have two memories. So one memory stick with me was this woman. We were walking on the street. We were walking around, and you know my boss, she's tall, slim, American, white woman, very noticeable. That was in two thousand seven,、mm-hmm. where there were not as many foreigners, but still she was noticeable. And then there was this woman, probably in her fifties, sixties. She was holding pictures of her bruised bodies and just chasing my boss, and kneeled kneeled down in front of her and say, "Look at my picture. You know, this is me. This is me being beaten up by by this de- detention center, and this is me being beaten up by that police." And then look at all my bruises, and、um, because they really want media coverage, and Chinese people can be so stubborn. They think, village people, I guess, or a lot of people, they think that by keep petitioning, they might be one. I don't know if they know the statistics,、mm. but they thought that they might be one of those lucky people、mm. whose grievances will be heard, and then they they will get their compensation, whatever.、Um, And that was just really sad. Yeah. And another image was me. I went to their village. You know, it's a village, so a bunch of people would live 
So we use square meter, so like a ten square meter. So I guess thirty square feet in a room like that. There might be twenty people living there together, bunk beds, men and women together.、Mm. And I remember looking at that old lady washing some rotten peach, like the kind of peach that is thrown away, but she was washing them. And I just thought, and there were like a lot of flies around her,、mm. and that was just a really shocking、um, image. You know, growing up relatively, relatively well off, you know, nothing had, I never had to worry about food or whatever, and then looking at her washing that rotten peach. I wrote a poem about that when I was in London because I remember that now.、Um, So yeah, that was my first day at work. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first day. First day ever at work. Oh my god, I feel like、um, I feel like that kind of investigative journalism doesn't happen now、uh, with foreign media in China. No, no, I think they changed a lot. Apparently, two thousand seven, two thousand eight was one of the most exciting year because China wanted to show an image of of its opening up. Yeah, and um, the um, media, the newspaper I I worked later for, the Financial Times, got really at that time got really rare access to the party,、mm. and the bureau chief wrote a book called. Party,、mm. which really analyzed or explained how the party works, the Communist Party, and because the the party wanted journalists to interview them, but when I was working at the FT, we would send them thousands of faxes and never hear anything. I'm exaggerating, but you know that's kind of every day. You know, send them fax, never return. Oh, sorry, our minister is busy. Blah blah blah. But in two thousand seven, two thousand eight was very. Was very exciting. I I just want to come back to that story real quick. What what was the resolution? Was there an article written about the woman? Was there anything that happened that as a result of that article? No, most people. It was a radio.、Uh, yeah. We were working.、Uh, that was a radio station called The World. The program is called The World.、Mm. I still listen to that. I listened to it yesterday. <laughs>、uh, it's a very good news program. No, most people's voices are unheard,、mm. and and that's one reason I left journalism.、Mm. Uh, well, at that time I was twenty-two. I was just you know that day, first day, and when I wanted the job, I just wanted something fun, something interesting.、Mm. I didn't know what I was getting into, <laughs> 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 you know, and.、Um, But then later on, I did go to journalism school, and、uh, you know that was in two thousand eight. I went to London, and、uh, at that time, a lot of us still had a lot of good ideals. We wanted to make this place a better world. We hoped that by reporting that story, their life could be better.、Mm. But I mean, China is such a huge country. By um. No, reporting their story doesn't make their life any easier, if not difficult. A lot of that's why there are so many dissidents, you know, in the world. I mean, outside of China,、mm. um, 
No, I don't know if I think she probably mentioned that woman, my boss. She probably mentioned that woman in that episode. I don't remember what she. I don't remember. It's been so long, but I I would doubt. I would doubt that it made any difference in her life.、Mm. It made a difference, I guess, in a way in to my life. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think to her life. Yeah. Um. So you were working at that program for how how many years in total? Just one year. Oh, just one year. Yeah, because I want you to go to,、uh, I want you to we say go abroad、mm. uh, right after university,、mm. uh, but、um, and you already like at what point did you decide that you would study journalism in London, or did you just have this vague idea that you would go abroad somewhere? Yeah, exactly.、Mm. So like.、Um, Yeah, because I got this boring, easy job <laughs>、um, on the last year of my university.、Mm, basically, like in China, like for my degree, for the last for the last year, the fourth year, there's nothing that you need to do. And I got a job really easy. I think I got because semester starts in September. I think I got a job in winter,、uh, which was really early, and it was like at that time it was. Fairly high paid salary, so I just started working. It was so fun, you know. I、like、just make money and go party, <laughs> and、uh, enjoy life. And、uh, so I'll and I studied for IELTS, you know, like the English, like the English exam.、Mm. But my I wanted to go to a good school, but my score was not high enough. So I was kind of like waiting to get a better score, and、uh, and also you know enjoying life,、mm. and. And then I saw this job, so I kept working. But then I thought that I should just—I think a year after. Well, I don't know. I guess I applied in November. So in two thousand seven, I was still working in this new job. But in November or December, I applied for school overseas.、Um, I was thinking of—I think I—I I didn't apply to many. I think I applied for. Maybe a couple of schools in England, and a couple of schools. I applied for journalism and psychology. I think I got accepted by. That's to study them together, or N- no, would, just either you, or.、Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what I wanted. I、mm. was twenty-two, because、mm. uh, I kind of studied a bit of psychology when I was in like doing my BA. And、uh, but journalism was very exciting because I was doing it, and、uh, so I got accepted to a psychology program in Australia, and then two journalism pro- programs in in the in England. So I went to the one in in London. Wow, that's cool. So th- would this be like a master degree then? Yeah, master in journalism. In journalism. Broadcast journalism. Well, I chose broadcast pathway afterwards,、mm-hmm. and it was a very interesting. It's called international journalism. I think I got in because well, I got my score. Like IELTS was seven.、Mm-hmm. Seven was fairly high. Like because journalism, you need to speak. It's international journalism. Everything was in English. You need to speak good English and write good English. And there were like about ninety of us. I think there were eighty nine of us. International journalism. And we were from thirty nine countries, so、wow. that's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there were me and three other Chinese students, and so a lot of European 
So the people from all over the world, and it was very, very exciting. When you started that program, did you have an idea of once you finished where you would go with it? Like, did you have an idea that you wanted to go back to China and be a journalist there, or, or were you just sort of taking it one step at a time? Yeah, I I think I wanted to stay in London.、Um, when I went there, I wanted to stay in London afterwards because I could visa wise, and.、Uh, Yeah, I had this, you know, like big ideal ambition to become like a world-renowned journalist to do really good investigative journalism and make a difference in people's lives, make this world a better place. And、um, uh, but I had a boyfriend at that time、uh, who's from who grew up in Montreal, and.、Uh, Um, you met him in London. We met. We met in Beijing,、hmm. and so he followed me to London because he really wanted to be with me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and it was the financial crisis, you know, two thousand nine. Yeah. And it was very hard for him to be in London. I was twenty two. I was shamelessly spending my parents' money. <laughs> 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 so I. Didn't feel like a pinch to me, but for him, he didn't feel comfortable being in London. Well, it was probably hard for him to get a job there.、I、totally,、yeah. totally. So, so our so my plan quickly changed.、Uh, so instead of instead of thinking about my career path, <laughs> I think at that time instead of thinking about my career path. We, because we wanted to move to Montreal together, because that's where he came from.、Mm. Uh, but of course, I didn't go because we broke up afterwards. But I went back to Beijing and then kept on working in journalism. Oh, you didn't go to Montreal with him then?、No. Oh, okay. Okay. So, did you finish your program in London? Before, yeah, of course. Went, yeah. And then you went to Beijing after. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you do in Beijing when you went back? I um because I reported the earthquake in two thousand eight. That's like another in Japan. No, in China. Oh yeah,、uh, the Japan the, one was a bit later, I think. Yeah, the Wenchuan earthquake in two thousand eight happened on May twelfth, just three months before the Olympic Games. That's another big thing、um, for me at that time, twenty-two year old reporting the earthquake. <laughs> um. Was I don't remember this too well. No, it was a long time ago. Was it? Was it? A, oh, was this in like Sichuan province? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember that. And then a lot of um, like poorly made buildings, like schools, fell down, killed children, and and such. I knew someone affected by that. Yeah, and、uh, me too. I was one of them. <laughs>、uh, as a journalist, right. So every time I talk this story, I bring my feet down to ground me because. Um. Because、uh, it happened on May twelfth in Sichuan, and we felt it a bit in Beijing, but I didn't feel it that much.、Mm, but we went there five days after on the seventeenth, and、uh, to Sichuan to Chengdu,、mm. and、uh, on the eighteenth, May eighteenth. What day is it today? Fifteenth.、Um. Yeah, I think today is the fifteenth. So exactly fourteen years ago, I、mm. guess.、Mm. So on the we went to Beichuan, which is one of the worst hit areas in Sichuan, on the nineteenth, 
but on the 18th, around midnight, like a bit after 1 a.m., I felt the aftershock, like this sound, <laughs> like exactly this sound. Okay. Were actually more like. Don't spill the water. <laughs> more like this sound. Yeah. Uh, teacup sound by my hotel room, just by on the nightstand. Wow. Uh, on the 16th floor. Oh, jeez. 5.9, 5.9 magnitude. That was the aftershock. Yeah. So, uh, I felt like I was woken up by the sound, but I was still in bed. Mm. And I felt like I was like floating in the ocean, but on the 16th floor. And then I look up into the window and there were like sirens going on and turn on the TV. And then they said it's 5.9 magnitude is high, but we're safe. <laughs> <laughs> that was in Chengdu. And then the next day we went to Beichuan, which is one of the worst hit areas. And um, it was tough. It was really tough. I didn't see any dead bodies because I think at that time a lot of them were, you know, sorted out in a way. I shouldn't say sorted out. A lot of them were dealt with. Like taken away. Yeah, but I could smell them. Wow. Because uh, they are buried under. Under the rubble and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, right, and then... I had the experience of, you know, the after the days, because I remember I was in, we were interviewing this guy who lost his wife and I was interpreting during the interview and my legs were shaken, like my legs were soft, like jelly legs. And because uh, of his, ex because, because of what you had experienced so far, because of your listening to his experience. Yeah, it was all, all, all of, of that. Yeah. And seeing the destruction, seeing the destruction being in there, smell it, and look at all the first responders and uh, look at people's expressions and, um, of course, listening to his stories. And, uh, um, right, so when we went back to the car, I just started to feel nauseous. I didn't eat anything at that time, maybe just some cookies, and then went back to my hotel room and felt nauseous. And I don't think I threw up anything, but just really nauseous, just like a human reaction to death, mm -hmm. 22 years old. Wow. Yeah, so when I was, in, so in 2009, when I went back to Beijing, um, I got a job a short time because I wanted to immigrate to Canada because I, my boyfriend at that time was still in Canada. We were still together. And uh, I wanted a short-term job. And I had a friend who was a psychologist. And um, he said, <laughs> that was life for me at that time. Like I write to my friends, hey, I need a job. And then people sent me job, job descriptions. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> then I apply and then get it. Yeah. Uh, and so... So then I worked on a WHO, a World Health Organization project about trauma relief training. Uh, so they were doing somatic experiencing uh, training. And so there were like five American. So I was coordinating that project to have American trainers to train health 
well, psychology professionals in China, mm. mo well, mostly in, in Sichuan because of the earthquake. So PTSD. Uh, so that's what I did for six months. And then within that six months, I was still, I was working very hard and partying very hard and then realized that I didn't want to be with the boyfriend at that time and broke up with him and then decided to stay in Beijing longer. And then after that project finished, uh, got a job at the Financial Times in, in Beijing. So, so like still doing my journalism thing. Okay, cool. Um, the Financial Times, I've read their um, articles before, and it's a very reputable journal or what is newspaper. it? Newspaper. It's a newspaper. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's headquartered in, in London too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, were you doing more financial reporting when you worked for them or was it still kind of this human stories? Yeah. So, um, so China has many special rules on <laughs> mm. <laughs> one of the rules in international reporting or foreign, I guess, reporting was that they don't allow Chinese nationals to have journalist status in foreign media. So I would never be called a journalist mm. on my title, like mm. my, my business card. Yeah. At that time, people still had business cards. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. People uh, still use business cards. Some people still use that. Okay. Right. So at that time, everyone, most people had business card. And uh, so my title was like a researcher or assistant journalist, mm. even though I was doing journalist, journalistic work. Mm -hmm. And that's because the Chinese government thinks we're not good enough to do that kind of work in foreign media. What? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, there's a there's like an official document about that. Huh. So, but so I so I was reporting and my our beat. So I would like each. So at the FT, so every news organization is different. FT is fairly reputable and had at, at least at that time had more money and could have one researcher to one specific correspondent. So my specific correspondent was the bureau chief at that time, and he was covering uh, macro, macro economics, like general economics and politics. Mm. So and that so that was my field too. Mm. So we we covered a lot about property and politics. That's mostly it. Okay. Social news. What What would you do for research for those kinds of articles? Mm. Would you interview people? Yeah, I did a lot of interviews. On the ground, on the street? Both. Yeah. On the ground, uh, over the phone, a lot of over the phone, because that was a newspaper. It was not the same. Mm. When we were doing the radio mm. for that, for the world, we have to really go there to, you know, to make it sound really authentic mm. and to really hear the voice. But when we're doing just newspaper, you can do it anywhere. Mm. We still did have... A fair amount of reporting trips, but we interviewed a lot of mm, scholars uh, over the phone. Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed a lot. Um, in, and yeah. How long were you with them then? Two years. And did, just like my first question with your first job, was there any um, 
particular story that stood out in your mind during your time working for them? Something, or was it, was it less memorable? Um, I think my first year in journalism, like with Mary Kay, my first boss, mm. was really memorable. Memorable. Um, like I said about the petitioner's village, and uh, and within a couple of weeks, we interviewed a, a lawyer, kind of a human rights lawyer. Ooh. At that time, I didn't know anything about the legal system in China, but that lawyer was really good. He mm. just really good. Like there were a lot of memorable, a lot of good memories from working with Mary Kay because we traveled a lot. Right. Yeah. It sounds like it. But how about the financial firm? FT? Uh, at FT, because it was it was more business related, so it was less, in a way, less human. Mm. Mm. And FT, in a way, was uh, more bureaucratic because with Mary Kay, was just me and her. And then I didn't, we didn't even. Well, she had an office, but I was working at home, mm. and we would work together when we report together. But at FT, we had a you know a proper office. Oh, I should say that FT. I guess um, maybe the thing that in a way changed my life or maybe it's just meant to be it was to interview the abbot of the Shaolin Temple. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the FT has, at that time, I don't know, I don't read it right now. <laughs> so at that time, FT had a column called Lunch with FT. And then... Uh, so, so my boss changed. The boss who hired me went back to England. And then there was another person who took in and wanted to interview the abbot of Shaolin, Shaolin Temple. And then he worked with another guy before, but then that guy quit. So that guy, my colleague at that time, Elliot. So my boss, so Jamel was... Would, like So my colleague, Elliot, Chinese guy, mm. like call the Shaolin Temple many times. Mm. Like once a month we'll call up the Shaolin Temple. <laughs> hey, this is the Financial Times. Can we have an interview with the abbot of the Shaolin Temple? <laughs> <laughs> They'll say no. Okay, okay, thank you. Bye. And then the month the next month and blah blah blah. Next month blah blah. Never. Never got it. <laughs> and then uh why did he want it so much? Because the Shaolin Temple is very controversial at that time, because it was becoming really commercial. And, uh, you know, the Shaolin Temple has 15 years of history. It's the birthplace of of martial art and uh, Zen Buddhism. Not 15, you mean? 1500. One oh, 1500. 1500. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. That's a long time. Yes. And it's the birthplace of Zen Buddhism and martial art. Mm. And uh, But at that time, it was also very commercial, there were a lot of Shaolin products, a lot of like Shaolin soccer, Shaolin noodles, convenient noodles, Shaolin, <laughs> Shaolin games, and uh, all, of course, a lot of Shaolin movies. And uh, so the abbot was accused of, um, you know, going to see prostitutes or, you know, a lot of scandals. Mm. He liked the money. Yeah, like right, abbot, sure. right. It was becoming really like the the Shaolin Temple itself was like really commercial. Yeah, and uh, 
And so, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting story. But of course, you know, he was also hard to get.、Mm. But then one time, so Jamel, so my boss said, "Hey, Zhao Xue, you know, maybe, maybe you should, you know, call the Shaolin Temple again." I said, "Okay, okay, I'm calling right now." So I call them. I say, "Hey, this is the FT. This is me. You know, can we have a lunch? We would like to have an interview with the Abbot." And then the guy said, "Yeah, when do you want to come?" That was the first time I called, and they said, "When do you want to come?" And I, <laughs> and I said, "Well, when is convenient for you?" Uh, so the person who answered the phone was the abbot, or no? It was like working, maybe like the news person or what, the media person for the abbot. What do you think you did differently、uh, compared to Elliot, or was it because you're a woman? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's because、um, I was just supposed to become a Buddhist、hmm. because of my、uh, my karma, my Buddhist past,、hmm. and、uh, so it's just.、Uh, Well, with the ashram's word, it's just a divine arrangement. Like、mm. I was just, it was the time. Okay, it was time. The universe chose you for that.、Interview. Exactly,、yeah. the, the universe chose me. I was just supposed to do that. Right. And Elliot is not a Buddhist. <laughs> well, I I was you... not at that time either, but I became one. Right. And、uh, and I was supposed to become one.、Mm. And.、Uh, And that was just the first step, and so,、um, so yeah. So you went there, yeah. yeah. And that was already. Where, the, where is it? So in it's in so so the Shaolin Temple is in Henan Province. Okay. Uh, in a region called Songshan region, and、uh, it's about, I think, an hour away from Zhengzhou, its capital, the provincial capital. So by driving, it's about,、um, I would say, maybe seven, eight, less than ten hours away from Beijing.、Um, I've been there four times, so that time was my third time, or second time. Not my first time, definitely. Okay. Uh, like when we did the interview. Not your first time to the Shaoli that... Temple. Oh, you had been there before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and.、Uh, So so then we went quickly,、mm. and、um, so we met the abbot. We had wow, we had the most fabulous vegetarian vegan meal. Like each person had like twenty cores, and they were like gorgeous <laughs> vegan meal. And they were like the menu was written in li shu, like a traditional calligraphy. Wow. Yeah, and、uh, so there、That's、was kind of like. Is it like top to top yeah, down?、Like、yeah,、that? right to left, traditional. Yeah. yeah, this is I don't know. Maybe Lotus this <laughs> enlightenment that <laughs> I don't remember.、Right. I probably couldn't read some of the the characters, but、yeah. I remember I was really impressed, and that was very memorable. I think that at that time I was reading a book. I was reading. Or maybe already finished reading "Eating Animals" by, forgot his name. You know, it's like a, one of the like investigative writer journalist work about animal production in、okay. North America,、okay. in America. Yeah. So I was reading "Eating Animals" and read a book by the Abbot, and then became a vegetarian right afterwards because I was already interested in becoming a vegetarian,、hmm. and then since then appreciating. Vegetarian food, 
feast. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I became a vegetarian. Um, I did a Buddhist meditation retreat for 10 days. And, you know, I had been interested in being a vegetarian before that. And I had tried making some very vegetarian dishes, but I, I didn't really know how to cook vegetarian food. Like I, I would just like leave out the meat and that's so unsatisfying <laughs> or a lot of pasta, but like eating there, I was, I was like, wow, this can taste incredible. It was so much easier to become a vegetarian once I knew that. Yeah. In a way it was almost classier because it was just so beautiful. Um yeah, so that was that was um that was good because I mentioned that because um, that happened in May too. Um, 2011. May 2011. And then in September and October, I went for a 3-week holiday in Thailand. And uh um, well, you're still working for the Right. Times, yeah, so. so I had a like an annual vacation. Mm -hmm. Very comfortable job. <laughs> oh, but sorry, yeah. I just want to know about the abbot. So all this controversy you're interviewing him. Right. What was your impression of him? Did you think he was kind of a sleazy guy, or or did he seem like what? What do you think about him? What was your verdict? I guess. Right. Well, my verdict is not that important, but I will say my feeling. Mm. And um, I don't think he's sleazy. I think he is a practitioner. Mm. I don't think he's particularly enlightened or smart. Mm. Mm. I remember I was really into meditation. And then in his book, well, his autobiography, he mentioned about um, they have a program called Chan Qi. Chan Qi... Uh, it's a seven-day Zen retreat that they do, like seven-day Chan Zen seven seven-day meditation retreat. Okay. And I was really interested in that, and uh, I asked him about Chan Qi, like, would they be open to the public? Mm. And he said, "No, we don't have. We want to." He said, "No, the Shaolin Temple wants to maintain its pure, um, pure practice." And doesn't want to interfere very much with the outside world. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm not very good at confrontation. <laughs> and that time I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't follow up. Um, I wish I did. But that was a joke to me. <laughs> right? So you don't want to educate the public about your core practice. But you want to, you know, have Shaolin, uh, yeah, smoke patch, <laughs> or, yeah. or or Shaolin noodles, or Shaolin game, but you don't want to introduce your core practice to the public, mm. and so that was not a smart answer from him, and I was not very impressed. Um, but he seemed like a very mm, docile practitioner. Because he had to be, to be chosen as the abbot by the Communist Party. Ah. Uh, the Communist Party chooses the abbot. I would assume so. Huh. At least partially. Yeah. Or... They can veto and... Probably. Final voting yeah. power. Yeah. 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 Um, can I go pee? 
<laughs> sure, we'll take a quick bathroom break and be right back. This seems like a good time to talk about our sponsor, MindLift. MindLift makes magic mushroom microdose capsules. Each capsule contains 100% pure psilocybin, otherwise known as magic mushrooms. There are three dose sizes, mild, standard, and potent. Each item has been formulated to give people a just perceptible high, where they should still be able to carry out their day-to-day functions of their lives. The ingredient has been sourced from an organic farm in the mountains of Western Canada. I take it and have nothing but good things to say about it. Microdosing can help alleviate depression and remind people to have a zest for life. I find it helps me with those things, as well as sometimes making me more productive and creative. So if you like, if you, sorry, if you live in Canada, please check out MindLift at mindlift.me. That's M-I-N-D-L-I-F-T dot M-E. And you can enter Eclectic Folk, one word, uppercase at checkout for 15% off all products. Okay, we're back. We're live. Um, Just had a little bathroom break there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, yeah, so you worked at the Financial Times for two years, and what did you do after? Right. I wanted to say um, the experience of um, interviewing the Abbott was important to me was... um, like he was very famous he's a very famous person Mm. and uh, and also it kind of quickly became a topic of conversation um, later on and then right I was talking about that I went to I had a three week holiday in Thailand right yes and um I was I went into Pai, just out of like um, northwestern part of Thailand, mm-hmm. just by by sheer. Well, I guess I should say at that time I thought it was by sheer coincidence, but now I think it's all divine arrangement. It was like a divine appointment. So by the time you went there, were you Buddhist by that point? No. Okay. I went there. I went to Pai because I um. I was using couch surfing. It was the first time I used couch surfing, hmm. and uh, I found uh, <laughs> I found a guy who offered an interesting place in Pai. So I went to Pai, which is a, a small town, quite hippie town. Do they have a lot of pies there? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I think I've tried some. They have a good bakery there. I think I've tried some pie. It's called P-A-I, pie. Okay. And uh, it's uh, about three, four hours away. Uh, I think it's northwest uh, of Chiang Mai. Mm. And uh, it's actually quite a touristy place. It's very hippie. I actually feel like I've heard of it. I've been to Thailand. uh, I forget if it's three times or two times. Maybe just... I don't even remember, but I've been to Thailand a couple times at least. Yeah, I, I I haven't been there, but I've I've heard of it. Yeah, so it's a cool town. It's mm. a really cool, very hippie town, and uh, I think 
lately my memory is better. So I remember that guy. I think his name is Mike. So I Mike said, "Hey, you can meet me up at Chiang Mai train station." So it was a rainy day, and the road was like all like up and down, hilly and mountainous, kind of like here,、mm. and on a motorbike on a rainy day. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at that time I was like twenty five, twenty six. I had no idea how dangerous it was. But anyway, that's not the point. Anyway, so we I went to Pi, and then、um, yes, I think. But you know what? I think it's all divine arrangement. So it was my first couchsurfing experience. And then、um, I didn't enjoy it, so I, uh, I um, why not? Because、uh, he said I can sleep in his bed. Oh, <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to do. No, <laughs> and so I slept on the hammock upstairs, like on the terrace. Hammock, hammock, hammock. Yeah, what's hammock? That's I think that's a poison. Oh, okay, hammock. Yeah, thank you. Sure. <laughs> So I slept on a in a hammock. Yes. Upstairs,、mm-hmm. and then the next day I found a really cool、um, youth hostel、mm-hmm. um, in Pai, just next to the rice field. Now looking back, I don't know. Like I really wanted to save money in that trip. I don't know why,、mm-hmm. but it's led to all kind of interesting experiences. So when I was in a youth hostel, that's what people do in a youth hostel. You you know you kind of. Travel together, and、uh, one morning I went to see the sunrise with some people. Very early in the morning, we were in some beautiful place, and then we were on the top mountain top. And、uh, <coughs> sorry, and、um, I heard some people singing, and then I said, "What's that?" And、uh, the guy I was traveling with at that time said. That's monks chanting, because that was probably five o'clock or earlier,、mm-hmm. you know, just dawn. And I said, "Oh, that sounds really nice." And he said, "Because、uh, he knew I do yoga," and he said,、um, "If you're interested in." I probably told him that. Oh, I said I've been into like a monastery in China. We I interviewed the abbot of the Shaolin Temple, and then he said, "If you're interested in Buddhism, you can do meditation at any temple here." I said, "Oh, okay." I think at that time I didn't do any formal meditation before, and、uh, so I was interested. And then that evening, we met two local tour guides, Thai tour guides, in that hostel in Pai. They were from Chiang Mai. And then one lady whom I like, one girl I whom I like really well, she said, "Hey, you should go to that little temple,、um, you know, like a bit outside near the university, near Chiang Mai University, and go there, Wat Ramphong, because I went there." He, she said, "You should go there," and.、Uh, And I, because she's a tour guide, so I, I, I took her advice, and so then I went there.、Mm. And、uh, I had a good experience. So well, I think this was all like. What were you just there for the day, or were you there? Yeah, like a ten day vipassana. Oh, you did. I think they said. I think he told me. Maybe my friend at that time told me that you can do a ten day vipassana. 
Yeah. And uh, and I was curious, so then I um, I did it. I think we should explain uh, for our listeners what vipassana is. Vipassana. Vipassana. That's I always say it the other way, which I suppose is wrong. Um, but a ten day vipassana. Yeah. Is you're meditating and not talking. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a silent retreat. Right. And uh, no contact with the outside world, no phones, no electronics, no books. I've done it before. It's it's really good. It's really intense. Right. Yeah. Yes. And um, uh, I went to another couch surfing place uh, at an American lady's house. This, this was after your marriage? No, before that in okay. Chiang Mai. Okay. On my way to that Vipassana place. Yeah. So her name is Lucy. She was like in her 70s, American, living in Chiang Mai. Mm. And she she's done the Vipassana retreat at that temple a few times. Her house were actually very close to that little temple. Mm. I, re I remember she said, she told me that, because she knew I told her that I wanted to do that and it was my first time. And she said, you know, if you can't do that, don't blame yourself. It just means that time is not right yet and uh, if you can't do that you can you know leave don't just you know just keep it easy mm. so um i'm really glad that i met her mm. and uh and then she drove me there i stayed with her for maybe a couple of nights and then she drove me to to the temple to the little monastery temple i guess well i don't know the difference <laughs> she had a book called What's What in a What? In a what? <laughs> you know, because in What, you know, W-A-T means temple oh. uh, in Thai. Right. What's What in a What? I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> wow. What, what, what does it mean, in a what? Like in a what? Like, you know, they have pergolas. Oh, what's or... what in a what? Like what is the temple? Temple, yeah. It's like what's what yeah. in the temple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's amazing how how the brain works, you mm. know, like I didn't think about the book at all. And it was 11 years ago now. <laughs> and so anyway, so she drove me to the temple. We, we must have met before in our previous life because I remember her. She said, she dropped me off. She dropped me off. She said, have a good life. And, <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, it was my first time hearing it. I was like, she's really cool. She has like fairy, fiery red hair. Hmm. In her bedroom, she has like a picture of her naked in her 50s or 60s. Was she naked? Like the picture is when she's in her 50s or 60s? I think something like that. Like a fiery hair. Very impressive lady. But anyway, that's not... Im no, I think she probably is important. Because anyway, I just thought that was whole trip was designed for me. Because I didn't have any plan. Like I wanted to, I actually wanted to go to the south. That was my first time in Thailand. I wanted to go to the south, explain, explore the island, but I never made it because mm. I just stayed in Chiang Mai area. Mm, that's interesting. I was usually in the south. That's where I usually went. Yeah, I've never been to the south, just like north. Were, did so? Did you, did you quit your job? Is no, that it was just a three-week paid holiday. I okay. had a good job. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and that was just not all of my holidays. Uh, anyway, I had a three-week holiday, paid okay. holiday. Okay. 
and uh, because it was the we we call the Golden Week, National China's National Day, October first. Yeah, everyone has a week off, and mm. then I I accumulated some days off, so mm. I had a three week holiday. Right, and uh, so I went to that Vipassana place, and it was very easy. Basically, like I gave them a call a few days in advance, and they said, "Yeah, come on this day," like a couple of days later,、mm. and then I went,、mm. and.、Um, So each place does their vipassana a little bit differently. I think a lot of people, maybe you,、um, I don't know. Like a lot of people、uh, are very familiar with the Goanka vipassana. Yeah, that's the one I did. Yeah, I did it too.、Uh, but that one I went to was,、um, I guess, particular to their own temple, which is different from from vipassana or Goanka's vipassana.、Um, was right, right, pretty strict. Um, but you also did walking. Okay. So you started by、uh, sitting for fifteen minutes and then walking for fifteen minutes for one day, first day,、hmm. and then、uh, every day you meet the abbot. They call it the conference or meeting or whatever. You meet the abbot, and the abbot asks you how many hours did you meditate yesterday. And I I remember my first day was eight hours, and I said eight hours, and he's like, "Do you have any other questions? Any questions? I don't remember my questions now." And、uh, but anyway, so you can ask him. You have a private talk with him.、Mm. There was an English translator who was from Germany, but he spoke Thai. So I was like three of us private, which. I did、uh, when I did the Guanta one in Quebec, in Montebello, Quebec.、Um, we didn't have a private conversation because I think a private conversation is actually quite important. I believe mine did. At the end of the day, we could go up and talk to the、um, assistant per- teacher or the lead teacher、um, and ask any questions we might have. It's like at the end of the day, like nine p.m. or something. Right. Our conference was sometime in the afternoon, like one or two or three,、mm-hmm. maybe one.、Mm-hmm. But I like that form very much. I think it's actually very important for someone to check on you, and、um, so, and the abbot is really nice, like Ajahn Supan. I guess my first spiritual teacher, my first meditation teacher.、Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. Because Lucy, my host, my Airbnb host in Chiang Mai, this American fiery, interesting lady, <laughs>、uh, she said, "On your third or fourth day, it's the most difficult."、Mm. And and I did encounter that on my third day, I think, because at that time, so that was 2011. I had already practiced yoga for five years,、mm. on and off,、mm. mostly on. So I. I was born with a flexible body. I didn't have any problem, physical problem, with sitting or walking or any of that. My my problem was being with myself.、Uh, I remember. So in their style, in the temple, you can go anywhere. There's like a few places you can walk in the park near the Bodhi tree, go to the meditation hall, or anywhere. A lot of freedom. Because in Goanka style, you only sit, right? You don't go anywhere.、Mm. So at that temple,、uh, I remember on the third day, 
um, I went to like a shrine where a lot of local Thai people went, and I went there. I just saw, felt bored, and was like, "What am I doing here?" And um, um, I just thought I was wasting my life, my time there. I'm like, "What am I doing?" You know, what's like, what does meditation do to me? You know, what is it? What's happening? Mm. Is it worth it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is it worth it? Am I wasting my time? Probably I may have, well, you know, partying or whatever, you know, <laughs> shopping. Huh. Have some nice food. And so I went to see the abbot. And I remember I was tearful. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And... Uh, yeah, I probably said something like, is it worth it? <coughs> and, uh, and he said, well, now you're beginning to observe. Now you're beginning to observe, to see how you feel, to see what's going on. And I was like, like my mouth was open. I was like, huh, what? <laughs> and that was an enlightening experience. What, what's, what was so profound about that? I'm not sure if I understand. Now you're beginning to observe? Yeah, now I'm beginning, now I'm paying attention. Now mm. I'm paying attention to what's going on with me, mm. within me. Mm. Because I remember, I think when I was in the medication hall, I was thinking to my head, like, what do I have? What am I doing to me? Like, how deep can I go? Mm. Basically, something like, you know, what am I doing? Like, what is there to find out? What am I doing? What am I trying to learn here? And, uh, and then he said, now you're beginning to observe your thought. This is the first time you're observing your thought. Because before it was all autopilot. Mm. And I didn't have any authentic, independent thought. Mm. And, uh, and at that time, when I was feeling so bored and frustrated, I was like, what is going on? What am I doing? Because finally, I was pausing. I was thinking and reflecting and looking at me, like looking at this. And... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not explaining it really well. But at that time, I was like, from, um, like almost frustrated and ashamed to feel. We have a saying in Chinese called "ti hu guan ding," the milk, nectar, pouring into your scalp your scalp from your crown mm. and that's what I felt mm. Mm. I remember I was like jumping around afterwards like you're not supposed to because you're supposed to walk really mindfully <laughs> super slow but I was like jumping I couldn't I was just like leaping with joy huh. uh, yeah so 
you continued. And yeah. you didn't feel it was wasting your time. No. No, not at all. And then then I had a lot of nice experiences afterwards. Mm. Um, it was raining a lot at that time. Monsoon season. September, October, monsoon season. Uh, and I meditated outside a lot with a mos mosquito net. And felt... You know, this kind of merging experience, like I was part of the rain, the rain was me, <laughs> you know, a lot of nice experiences. Mm. And uh, and also decided, I also did a lot of thinking still at that time. I mm, also decided to immigrate to Canada, uh, decided to... Why? You So you weren't with your no, Montreal we... boyfriend anymore at that point, right? Right, we already broke up. I, we broke up fairly soon after we, I moved back to China. But I was kind of seeing a guy. I had kind of a boyfriend, but we were not super serious. So why Canada then? Um, because because when we were together, when my first boyfriend and I were together, because he went to London with me, and then we visited Montreal during my winter break in London, mm. when I was in London. Mm. And uh, I loved Montreal. Hmm. I remember what made me move to Montreal was uh, his mom actually, uh, his father passed away and we, we stayed at his mom's. His mom lived in the suburbs of Montreal, but we still went partying. I remember somewhere at that time, I didn't know Montreal very well. We were like, it was like, you know, minus 20 outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Montreal can get cold in the winter. Yeah, it was maybe minus 20 outside. It was in the evening. Everyone was, was like bundled up and I was wearing my ski pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw people dancing, dancing on the street. Uh, like we probably, probably they were like probably near, maybe it was on San Lohan, like one of those places with nightlife and party and music, live music. And then some guy was like dancing by the window. And I thought, oh, this town is so fun. Like it's really hippie, it's fun. Because mm. in Beijing, you don't see people dancing in the street. Yeah, You don't see that in London either. Mm. And it's kind of a Montreal thing. Maybe people here do that too. But <laughs> at that time, it was, it was the first hippie town that I went to and I fell in love with it. Huh. I loved the mountain. I loved that people were so friendly. I loved that people danced in the streets. And so when I was at a monastery in Thailand, mm. in Chiang Mai, meditating, I thought I want to be there because it's fun mm. and it's free. Uh, like I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, being taken out to tea with the police because I said something wrong, because yeah. I went too far with my investigative reporting. Right. Because mm. we did interview some dissidents, you know, political, political activists. I know my phone was tapped. My internet was cut off sometimes at home. Mm. And... Uh, right, because I wanted to go somewhere fun and free. Hmm. Uh, so I decided that in, in when I was doing that Vipassana, my first Vipassana hmm. in Chiang Mai. Hmm. 
something clicked and you're like, I'm going to go to Montreal. That's where I should go. That's where I should be. Yeah, well, it was my scheming mind. And that's what happens a lot. That happens a lot when we meditate. We scheme. We plan things. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, and that's what I did a lot. Mm. And and uh, the abbot knew that, too. Mm. And I told him towards the end, I said, you know, I, I did some thinking, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, he's just so, he just beams with loving kindness and he said something like yeah of course that's what you would do (laughs) 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 but with a lot of loving kindness at that time i didn't think it was um, at that time i didn't think he was being critical of my practice at that time i just thought oh he guides me he gets me Mm. but now thinking back i know you know he was trying to point out that that's not what i'm supposed to do when i meditate right uh, but oh know. yeah that happens to me a lot sometimes yeah. i'm meditating i can't wait to get out there because i have all these ideas of things i need to do right now yeah but no you're not supposed to do that right exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um but i couldn't help it i was thinking about i should go pizza the first thing after the monastery or whatever you know did a lot of scheming mm. uh but i followed through so then that's what i did so then i went to canada in 2012 and what what were you doing for work more journalism in no i um i wanted to become a professor uh because when i was at the ft we interviewed a lot of uh, people in academia Mm. a lot of professors scholars and uh, i thought they were really cool and uh and i was um, i always loved reading and writing and um, I want you to become because I knew I knew that I couldn't really I mean I knew that I couldn't really do journalism in the way that I want to like my ideal they're like there's no fertile ground to realize my ideal hmm. um, so I have to find something else Mm. and then i thought maybe becoming a professor or working academia might be my way and that just so shows how silly and naive i was at that time and so uh originally i thought i should study east asia like east asian studies but then my friends laughed at me (laughs) why they say it's just so lame. It's just a lame <laughs> profession, lame uh, discipline without any vigorous um, methodology, <laughs> research methodology, blah, blah, blah. So now I thought um, maybe I should study sociology. Um, uh, we interviewed a few interesting sociologists in Beijing, and I thought they were really cool. Mm. I thought they gave some really fair, nuanced introduction or explanation to what was going on in China. Uh, and I wanted to study PhD right away, but of course I didn't have any academic background in, in uh, sociology. So I started with another master's. So that was my second master's. Mm. There were only two um, English universities in Montreal and I applied for both. And of course, Miguel didn't accept me and I went to Concordia in Montreal. And uh, basically, 
basically after the first semester, well, maybe after the first month, I knew that was not my thing. <laughs> uh, so I just basically finished the degree for the sake of my immigration status. Oh, yeah. Because in Montreal, you can just... Um, you get like permanent residency, right? Yeah, you can get a permanent residency by having a legit legitimate degree and pass a French exam. Mm. I already learned French for many years at that time. And uh, going to school was something I enjoyed. So that was just easy. So I just followed that, jumped the hoops and did that in Montreal. And of course, you know, have fun, met friends, enjoy life. In Montreal. Hmm. Cool. So where do we go from here? What? I think there's, you know, we spent a lot of time now on, <laughs> and that's fine. It's been really fun going through this, but we spent a lot of time on your life. We haven't got to like where you are today, what you're doing today. But I think if we, if we do get into that, we still have to like catch up to now. Right. <laughs> So people understand, because you told me you're writing a book and stuff, right. right? But, well, let's jump forward and then we can go back. <laughs> okay. Just to just to mix it up a bit. Um, so you're writing a book. What's your, first of all, um, we'll say what your book's about and then say why you chose this topic as uh, your first book. Right. I like that you say it's my first book. <laughs> Thank you. Um, is it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Because I have, I already have a, an idea for a second book, even though this first book is not published yet. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have many books, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. I did uh, translate a book, uh, a psychology book that was published in April. And it's now in bookstores in China. Cool. Mm. So this first book that I'm writing is in Chinese. Uh, it's about um, my marriage, basically. Mm. Uh, the marriage that I had. Um, because in I had an interesting marriage because my ex-husband was a previous monk, a Buddhist monk. And he, he is, he was, well, he is English-Australian and he was a monk in Thailand, in northeastern Thailand. And northeastern part of Thailand is a really, probably one of the least, uh, least touristy part of Thailand. And, and also probably one of the least developed parts? Yes, and uh, and it's where is Buddhism tradition is kept best. Hmm. And uh, I went to a Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah is a very famous Buddhist teacher in Thailand. He passed away in 1991, I think, or 95, in the 90s. Very influential Buddhist, Buddhist teacher. He has branch monasteries all over the world, including Canada, the UK. Well, just, you know, he's a very influential Buddhist teacher, mm -hmm. uh, considered to be um, one of the, I don't know if I can say one of the few, considered to be a really enlightened being, Buddhist master. And um, so I went to their monastery in the end of 2015 
after living in Montreal for three years. And um, I wanted to go there because... Um, because... Um, I guess now I think about it, at that time, I thought there were two reasons. One was that I had a depression that I wanted to cure. And another because I wanted to change my profession. Because I, I did work at a university. I did work at the University of Montreal, uh, like on a, a grant, like a, like a research project. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I wasn't happy doing that job and I wanted to teach yoga and meditation and my parents pressured me to move back to Beijing to China because I'm their only child mm. and uh, so and I thought fuck it you know like you, you want me to go back to Beijing so I want to do whatever I want <laughs> mm. because for them you know being a yoga teacher means a, fit, a fitness instructor and for me that was not the case. Mm. And um, it was more spiritual for you. Totally. Yeah. And uh, and, uh, and and then I thought that I should spend more time learning about meditation. And uh, Ajahn Chah, so the spiritual teacher, I've read a bit about him and uh, I know some of my teachers had studied in that tradition so I was very curious of that so right so in, tw in 2015 when I went to that monastery in Thailand my ex-husband was the guest monk uh, now your ex not your ex-husband at the time at the right. time you didn't know him no yes okay right so at that time he was Argentanio uh, Ajahn means teacher in Thai, mm. but when you call a monk Ajahn, that means they're already at a high status, means they have already been a monk for over 10 years. Mm. They can give Dhamma talks and people worship them, bow to him, bow to them. Mm. And uh, when they go to, uh, when they fly in Thailand, they go first class and uh, like first class. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it just automatically, they don't have to pay more money or anything. Mm -mm. No, uh, monks in Thailand are highly regarded, and if you are white and speak Thai, you are like close to the king. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, <laughs> and you know if you're good looking, wow, king's buddy. <laughs> but but they're they're abstinent, right? What do you mean abstinent? They do not have. Sexual relations. No, celibate. Completely yeah. celibate. Yeah. You have... Their rules are really strict. Mm. Uh, women are just really second-class citizen. You have to stay as far as you can <laughs> away from them. Oh, really? Yes. If you come into a narrow pass and you see monks coming forward, women have to skirt around to let the monks pass. Why? Because we're considered animals... Or um, seduction, seductive animals that's getting into the way of their enlightenment. Hmm. And that just reflects the status of women in Thailand. And um, yeah, that's another whole story, you know, <laughs> because they kind of twisted the Buddhist teaching a little bit. That's what I've read. 
from women Buddhist teachers. Yeah. That. Mm, so. Instead of considering women as, um, as how to say, they kind of basically gave women a bad rap. I think. You know, um, I I don't know much about it. I haven't been there, but if I was a monk who who was celibate for ten years, I could imagine like even walking by a woman. Getting like a whiff of air, like her scent, I'd be like, "Oh fuck!" It would distract. It would distract me a lot. I imagine. Totally, I saw. So, so is it possible? Like, it might not be that they're like. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. But like, are they second class, or is it like they're, or is it like the monks are really prone to being um, distracted? That's a good point. And I did come across when I was in the Shaolin Temple interviewing that abbot、mm. that morning before our interview. I went up and climbed up to the Bodhi's cave, where the、uh, Indian、uh, Dharma teacher went to China and meditated for that in that cave for I don't know how many long, maybe three decades or so. So I went up to that cave, and that was like maybe six o'clock in the morning. I went up. I was on my way going up. There was a small, a young monk, coming down, and he saw me, and he blushed. <laughs> <laughs> and、uh, so, I can totally understand your question. But, um, so I guess women or drugs. Um, how do I put this? Um, yes, I one, I one point you can say that you should stay away from them, but you shouldn't. Like, you shouldn't be like, see them as if they're monsters. I think we were demonized a little bit. Okay. Um, at least that's how I felt. Yeah. Like. We will get told off, saying, "Hey, don't stay too close to those monks," you know, like that. You know, like you're disturbing their practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. And and I just thought, ah, just from existing, just from being, like you weren't doing anything. No. Yeah. No. No, not at all. Right. And、uh, of course, you know, women want to be close to the monks because we thought by being close to an enlightened being or a great teacher, we can maybe get some wisdom.、Mm. But we didn't get close because we wanted to be close to them because they are men, because they are good teachers.、Mm. But maybe, yeah, maybe for them that's difficult. Is there a culture in Thailand of women monks or nuns or something like that? Um. Yes, but up until now, as far as I know, women cannot have、uh, equal status as men in Thailand.、Mm. You can get the only place that I I know that you can get women can get as equal is in in China actually, Taiwan, Hong Kong, but not in Thailand.、Mm. Uh, in fact, I think Thailand is one of the、um, worst places for women to practice. Uh, if you want to have status, 
you can yeah. still practice as a practitioner, right? Um, but you won't become an abbot, yeah, or or have the kind of training and education that a monk can have, a man can have, mm. a male monk can have, right? Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so he was a guest monk, Argentanio. Uh, Tanio means good foundation. It's a Pali word. And um, I was a little bit chappy at that time. And I was still a little bit depressed. But somehow he fell in love with me. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. So you went to this monastery, secluded, very Buddhist, very traditional. Um, they keep the women and the men quite separate to the point where if they're walking in the hallway you have to get out of the way as far as you can how did he fall in love with you he saw me <laughs> you see <laughs> that's what happens when you're celibate for 10 years <laughs> 12 years i think for him it was 13 years wow at that time it was 13 years um i uh um I don't think he fell in love with me, particularly because I was beautiful. Not not because of my 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 appearance. I think it's because of our karma, our past mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he could sense that, and um, and of course he he had his own quote unquote. Uh, monk crisis, monk crisis, like a midlife crisis or a career crisis. He was having a monk career crisis mm. and a bit of family drama. Mm. And then he saw a woman from China whom he probably met before in our previous lives. And then he was attracted to me. But at that time, I had no idea. I didn't know that at all. I just lived in that monastery for a month and learned a lot about Buddhism. That was my first Buddhism introduction. And uh, made a lot of good friends, um, good Dhamma sisters. And um, I didn't see him very much when we were in that monastery because he was a guest monk. We were not supposed to socialize very much. And... Um, and he didn't stay in that monastery for too long, maybe only for 12 days or 10 days during the time that I was there. I stayed for about a month. Mm. But a year later, almost exactly a year later, he approached me on Facebook and said, hey, my name is Alex. Well, anyway, I don't think he's going to listen to this. Hey, my name is Alex. I disrobed. Somehow like that. Like not... Like, my name is... He didn't say that only in this one sentence, but basically, hi, I disrobed. Disrobed means you um, stopped being a monk. Right. Yeah. Like, came back to this life. Yeah. And, uh, like, and I'm living in Queensland, northern Australia. Mm. That's where he grew up. Mm. And, uh, and then we... Uh, and then I'm like, what, what, what? And then we chatted a lot. And then... A few days later, we decided to get married. What? <laughs> Holy cow. Hold on. So your first contact with him was 
you barely spoke to him. He saw you. You you forgot him. Right. We spoke a little bit. I asked him twice for some questions about meditation.、Mm. And、um, so yeah, maybe a couple of times we spoke. Okay, but very briefly. Yeah. Year goes by, and he reaches. He finds you on Facebook. Right. And he tells you that he stopped being a monk. Right. Because he met you. No, that's one reason. Like I was, like I was telling you, he was having, you know, his monk life, monk career crisis, his family crisis. It's like a midlife crisis, but it's a monk life crisis. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and I was thirty-one.、Yeah. I think I was having my thirty-year-old crisis. Wanted to get married and wanted to be with a man and wanted someone to save me. Wanted to have a family,、um, and he was there and、uh, promised everlasting love. <laughs> 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 and uh, um, we hit it off.、Uh, we we do have a lot in common.、Mm. We get along extremely well.、Mm. We、um, we have very similar taste. We、um, think we have similar goals in life,、um, and、uh, we communicate really well. We communicated very well,、mm-hmm. and、uh, we were both thirsty, starving for love and affection, wanted understanding, and and apparently this happens a lot to ex monks. Uh, that they tend to get married really quickly.、Mm. They just need to meet the right woman,、mm. the right woman who would want to marry them quickly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, is a monk like a strict Christian? Will they wait until they're married before they're before they、um, stop being celibate? What do you mean?、Uh, I mean, <clears throat> do they have to wait? Until they're married, before they have sex. For a monk, or well, he's not a monk anymore, but like a devotee. No, um, no. Once he disrobed,、mm. on theory, in principle, he had nothing to do with the monastery.、Mm. He can have sex with whatever he wanted,、mm. and.、Uh, Whoever, whomever, whatever he wanted, he wanted. <laughs> alligators, flamingos, yeah, snakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we have a bathroom break? <laughs> okay, sure. Sorry.、That's- okay, we're back from our second bathroom break. <laughs> It's okay. I needed to go too. We're drinking a little bit of beer as we're conversing, so you know it goes right through you. Um. Okay, so you had met. We're we're just talking about your your, I guess where we were was that.、Um, yeah, you were asking、uh, if he could have sex before, if he had to have sex after he got married. Right. And I said no, he didn't have to. He was free. He was a free man. Okay. And what? 
I just I just said okay. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to ask something. <laughs> well, I I was making like I I asked that question because I don't know much about very religious, um, in kind of like the traditional sense Buddhists, but like for example Christians, like traditional Christians, uh, they'll wait until marriage. I I, know, I have a good friend who, who's very Christian, and he. Like he wouldn't do it until he got married. It's like very important in their faith, and I think you know Muslims are are like that too if they're particularly devout. So I asked that question. Um, I wasn't trying to be nosy. I was curious if that was like that in for like devout people in that religion. No, I didn't feel you were nosy at all. Mm. Um, Is uh, no for them uh, with their tradition. Um, when they were a monk. It was very strict. You were not supposed to masturbate. You were not supposed to have sex of any form when you were in ropes, when you were a monk. Mm. Um, I don't know their rules really well, but, but apparently they have 227 rules, uh, which they recite every week. Mm. And uh, maybe one of the rules, I don't know. May, I, maybe I think they were not probably supposed to have uh, thoughts related to sex. And uh, uh, but once they disrobed, once they were not a monk anymore, they could do whatever they want. And um, mm, no, they didn't have the rule about premarital sex. And uh, so that's not um, like people who grow up Buddhist; they don't have that sort of like personal rule to wait not necessarily but if you were a monk for a long time mm. and you were trained that love romantic love uh is a form of attachment which mm. is something that you should overcome mm. and sex is something enjoyable but transient mm. which is something not worth pursuing mm. then you would have a very different attitude towards sex. And uh, I think our attitude was always different. And I think for him, even though he never admitted it, even though I asked him, I, for him, I think he probably felt guilty, even though he was not a monk anymore, but he was trained for so long believing that you know basically to reach enlightenment you should have a clean attachment free life high moral mm. and no sex and uh, attachment leads, leads to suffering mm. and uh, mm, yeah so that was that's very different from our normal day-to-day -day view of sex. Thank you <laughs> for that explanation. That's good. Um, so he, w where we were before was he had just reached out to you on Facebook. Yeah. And that, and like, how did you go from that to how, how agreeing to get married? Yeah, I think, um, um, so this whole experience taught me a lot about myself. Mm. 
And、um, I thought I was quite maverick, I guess, at that time. At that time, I thought I was very maverick. I thought I was independent, free thinking, educated, and kind of avant-garde.、Um, but I was not. <laughs> I.、Um, I felt the pressure of society. From society, I felt that I should, even though I didn't realize it at that time. But now, thinking back, I think I felt that I should get married. I should be with a man to be good and complete, and、uh, and I wanted a man in my life. I wanted. I think I wanted someone to save me. I realized it much later. I think I wanted a man to save me from whatever kind of misery I was in,、hmm. and、um, and he he was he promised that figure. That was the figure he promised to be.、Hmm. He thought he was, and someone who. Who would love me forever? Who would、um, accept me for whatever I was, wh- whomever I was? And um, um, I think we were both were very similar in a lot of ways, and we were both very idealistic, very romantic, too romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a legend at that time. When I told my friends, it was like, "Oh, you know, I met this monk. He fell in love with me, but I didn't know. I just thought,、uh, you know what? My father is very sleazy. He slept with a lot of women, and then I thought, 'Oh my God, I meet this monk who was celibate, celibate for thirteen <laughs> years. He's like the opposite of my father.'" Oh my God, he's like an angel. <laughs> I should marry him.、Mm. And、um, actually, you know what? I think at that time I really thought that I should reward him. I should I should reward him by marrying him because he's such a good person.、Mm. Uh, he had such strong desires for me, but he he held it. He persevered, and then. He, after a year of serious thinking, he disrobed and he pursued me from the other end of the world, and he's like a hero and came over to save me. That sounds extremely romantic. It was. Yeah. Yeah, and he came to visit me in Beijing, and we got married in Beijing.、Uh, I think. Yeah, about two months after he disrobed, maybe less than two months after he disrobed. Wow.、Mm-hmm. And had like had you seen him from the time you left the the temple to when you got married? Had you seen him physically in person? No, no. So the beginning of my book is about me picking up, getting all dolled up, and going to pick him up at the airport in Beijing, and that、wow. was the first time I met him as a layperson. Wow! Like an ordinary person, and you, but you've been talking online, and you already had talked about getting married by that point, right? 
Wow. <laughs> no, that's wild. We probably booked an appointment to get married already before he arrived. I did, think so. Like, who did you both want to get married? Did, yeah. yeah. I think, you know what? I think I kind of remember. I think because, to, like, very quickly we were talking, we talked a lot. Like, we would talk for like four hours. Mm. And, um, uh, and then it was during Christmas and New Year's. And then one time he was introducing me, you know, over video to his family, his sisters and mom. And then I'm like, and I said, hey, you behave like a, you behave like my boyfriend from your body gesture. And he says, well, I can be your, your boyfriend if you want me to. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I said, okay, then you can be my boyfriend. And then something else happened. Oh, oh, because I had a, I had a couple of flings going on at that time in Beijing. I guess I was had a couple of people, men in my life at that time, but none of them were serious. But I was like, and I and I said, right, and uh, and I said, hey, maybe I should wear a ring. You know, like a straw ring or whatever, like a cheap ring to show people that, hey, now I'm not single anymore. And then he said, I can give you a real, a real ring if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he's like, and I was probably joking around or something. And he would be and he would say something like, you know, we can get married if you want, like something like that. Hmm. And uh, I think we're both idealistic, romantic in the way that we have high ideals and we wanted to do something. We're like perfectionists too, both of us. Hmm. So we wanted to do something well. We wanted to do something to the extreme. Hmm. And of course, you know, from strangers, from a monk to like the other end of the extreme is to, you know, form a... Matrimon matrimony? Matri how do you call that? Matri Mat matrimony. Matrimony. Mm. To form a matrimony. So that's what we did. And um Yeah. Yeah, so then he came. And uh he came to Beijing and we got married. And um but we had a lot of fights. I um just well at that time i thought it was all my fault but actually what were the fights like because i picture i can't like i picture fighting with someone who was a monk for 12 years it's not a typical fight like did he ne he never raised his voice did he or did he <laughs> no not very much i think um i um I had no idea, neither of us, I had no idea of mm. what we were getting into. Mm. Um, I, I knew what I wanted from a marriage. And uh, I don't think he knew or thought about it. I think he just wanted to be with me. And, uh, mm, and he wanted to give me what I wanted. And I thought I, wa I wanted marriage. Mm. And uh, so fights were about, um, I think I saw, um, I, 
I had no idea what it was like to transition from thirteen years of being in the monastery to Beijing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> Beijing is crazy. You know, it's a crazy city, and he lived in a village in Thailand for thirteen years. Wow. And、that must have been a hard adjustment for him. It was, and I had no idea how big an adjustment it was at that time until after I left the mon- I left the ashram here after two years of staying at the ashram. Then I realized, wow. So there's an ashram in our area where you, where you lived in. Right. 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 And、uh, so at that time, I had no idea. So、mm. you know. It was hard to relate to what he was going through, right? And、yeah. then, of course, I had all these preconditioned ideas of what a husband should be.、Mm. Like they should be financially secure. He had no money. <laughs> you know, pay for things, listen to me, be very,、um, how to say,、um, supportive or somehow better than me. But he was completely. Completely dependent on me in Beijing. He didn't speak much Chinese. He's, he yeah, he's in a country. It's your country. He's never been there before. He's been in a little temple for thirteen years. He's living in a city of thirty million people or something. Um, like, did he was he able to get a job there? No. So originally we were thinking about. So he wanted to live in Beijing, and then he was thinking of becoming an English teacher in Beijing. I was like, "What the fuck? I'm not marrying an English teacher." <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, <laughs> and so we thought about that because he didn't know, you know, he didn't know what he wanted to do, and so there were a lot of practical、um, difficulties and challenges that, of course, ni- neither of us fathomed.、Uh, yeah. Uh, and I at that time, I was not completely happy in Beijing either, because that was after living in Montreal for three and a half years, and I was getting used to be to being in Beijing too.、Mm. And、uh, so then he only stayed in Beijing for I don't know a few weeks, maybe three weeks or so, and then he had to go back to Australia. He wanted to study yoga. He was still figuring out his life. You know, he needed to figure out what he wanted to do. In life,、mm. and、um, uh, but we were having fights, you know, long distance, and then、um, and then he said one day very quickly he said I don't think I can live in Beijing, and I'm like, well, either we divorce, which is something I don't want, or I go to Australia. So I went to Australia,、mm. and. I got a visa within twenty four hours. Wow! Yes, and、uh, what did you、uh, did you how how did you what kind of visa? Yeah, I got a tourist visa、okay. within twenty four hours. Okay, and then every country's immigration policy is different. So in Australia, I could just get a normal tourist visa and then apply for a partner visa afterwards,、mm. but mm. expensive.、Mm. But anyway, that's what we did. And、uh, so we got married. So he went to Beijing in the beginning of 2017. I think in late January for Chinese New Year. He met my family, 
and、uh, and then I went to Melbourne in the beginning of April, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Hmm. That's funny. So my last guest,、uh, Mr. Pink, he used to he used to live in Melbourne too. Um. Yeah. How'd you how'd you find it there? Melbourne is a very nice city.、Mm, the climate doesn't agree with my body very much, but I love the food. It's <laughs> really good Chinese food, Asian <laughs> food in general. Good coffee, and、um, don't they have like、uh, streetcars there too, or trams or something? Yeah, trams.、Like、they have a、yeah. lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very nice city,、mm. and、uh, I got a job very quickly. Uh, at a Buddhist temple in Melbourne,、mm. and、uh, mm, we had a lot of.、Um, so we went to. So I went to. So I moved into Melbourne in the beginning of twenty. No, April twenty seventeen, and and then we had fights too afterwards because. To me, at that time, he was like a loser because he was like just completely lost. Yeah. From my, you know, the practical material point of view. Right. And、um, he was completely lost. And、uh, at one point, I think in the beginning of our marriage, he asked me, you know, why do you love me? And、uh, and I think at that time, I think I just needed love so much that. Ah,、uh, and he, and he's nice. He's he is very compassionate.、Mm. Has a lot of loving kindness. Right. He almost never. I don't think he almost never raises raises his voice. And very nice to me. Hmm. Mm, very reasonable, and、uh, um. But. I think it was in July or August in 2017. So a couple of months after I moved to Melbourne, he said one day he said,、um, "I think maybe in ten years I want to be a monk again." And uh oh, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, I was like, "How can you do this to me?"、Oh. And and I got really physical with him. I was like, but he just said, "I think that." Like he he wasn't like did he did he did he say I'm going to do that or he's like, I think that maybe you、yeah, could have changed、yeah. his mind perhaps or you could tell him yeah I tried hey, don't do that actually yeah I、please. tried、uh. I tried actually you know what I don't want to talk too much about this because you know my memory is not. Completely, it's not very pristine, you know. I don't remember this, but anyway, there's a lot of emotion.、There. Exactly. Yeah. But I do remember he said something very clearly to me at that time. It, there were a lot of roller coasters, roller coasters that happened a few rounds.、Mm. But in the beginning of cu- first couple of rounds, maybe the first one, and、uh, he's he's like, I was infatuated by you,、mm. and you were my rebound. And that was like a, a slap on my face,、mm. 
and uh, I went. I didn't know anyone in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, and uh, so it was. It was hard. It was hard for me. So you first he came to your city and he didn't know anyone or know what to do and then you went to his city and you didn't know anyone or know what to do it's tough it was really tough um so we and i think eventually and then i started seeing a a social worker Mm. at a local clinic and um so after a few rounds of roller coaster of him. So the first time he said, I may want to be a monk in 10 years. But then maybe a, a month or two later, he said, I want to be a monk. And when he said, I want to be a monk, he would say, I want to be a monk ASAP. Wow. Um, because I want to, I made a huge mistake and I want to correct it ASAP so that oh. we don't waste <laughs> our time. Ouch. Shit. Um, Right. I had no social support. I had zero social support. Mm. And, um, um, but I had a social worker who was, who was very good. And, uh, and of course, you know, he loved me. He still loved me. He was attracted to me. He wanted to be nice to me. Mm. Uh, and we had good times. We traveled. We, we had some nice trips together. And we still had sex sometime when he didn't want to become a monk. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, um, but then eventually there were just too many rounds. And then, um, the last round was after my, my mom sent me a lot of money to buy property in Melbourne, but we didn't buy property. We invested it on his business his inter his translation business thai and english we spent after i spent a lot of money we spent a lot of my mom's money my parents money <clears throat> and then after we agreed on having a wedding in beijing because uh, we planned a wedding in beijing in 2018 in october mm. and we did it and but in august no in yes august 2018 one time he said you know, maybe I don't want to do the wedding uh, because I want to be a monk. Uh, and then and then I really beat him up and he called the police. Holy shit. And I was... <laughs> and I was... How did you beat him up? I just throw things at him. I was out of my mind. Oh, wow. You know, because that's after spent, I don't know, $100,000 of my parents' money. Mm. And then preparing a wedding, inviting all my families, all my family and friends. Mm. And then, and then the groom says, Hey, I want to be a monk. Fuck you. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't say fuck you, but say, you know, I will let you go. You know, we're not supposed to be together. So I was like completely humiliated and, Mm. um, desperate. And then he was like scared, of course, because I went mad. I went mad. Mm. And then I was. He called. I don't know if 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 it is their nine one one. I don't know. They're equivalent. They're equivalent of of nine one one. And uh, I was detained. I was actually in a cell. <laughs> Holy shit! 
Yeah, this is all going to be my book. Good story, eh? <laughs> It's a good story. <laughs> so I was in a cell, yeah. and、uh, and then I was in a cell for I don't know how long. There was, you know, it's all dark, and it's really like a cell in prison. And they let me. They didn't let me wearing my shoes because I was wearing sneakers and there were shoelaces. And they say you cannot wear your shoes with shoelaces because they don't want me to harm to harm myself. Yeah. Like there was like like a little toilet, but it's all round and metal. Right. Like nothing sharp. Yeah. And I'm sure there's camera. Right. I was like, they drove me, like in the police car. I was at the back of the police car, like a caged animal, basically. And、wow. there was like a camera there. When you were in the back of the police car, were you still enraged, or you had had you calmed down by that time? I was still enraged, and and of course, completely shocked, because,、mm. you know, I'm I'm a highly educated woman.、Mm. I'm well traveled and. You know, a yoga meditation teacher, <laughs> <laughs> and teach people how to calm down and behave and and relax. And then I was there in the back of the police car, like a criminal, basically. Yeah. And I was arrested. Yeah. And uh, uh, in you know, in a in Melbourne, Australia, <laughs> where I didn't have any friends, basically.、Mm. So that was a completely alienating experience, and、uh, but luckily, luckily, my coworker at that time, who I worked really closely, was、mm. a solicitor. She did corporate law,、mm. but at that time, my mind couldn't function. So then I was detained, and then the police asked me some questions, and then released me, and then he had a protection order. And、uh, so I couldn't go back home. So I go to I went to a hotel. Checked into the ho- hotel. I called my colleague Claire. She was just strictly my colleague, but she liked me. You know, we got along at work. And then I I told Claire what happened. Of course, she was you know extremely shocked. But then she was so good. I just feel really lucky that when I really needed help, I had great help.、Mm-hmm. And then I I told Claire what happened because I will I was going to court. I think that happened on a Saturday, and I was supposed to go to court on Monday, so just like in two days.、Mm. And I said, "Claire, this is what happened, and my brain is foggy. I don't know what should I do." And then she did some research for me. She said, "At that time, I called myself Rada. You know, I, I was given a spiritual name, Rada. You、mm. know, cosmic love, which means cosmic love." <laughs> and then she said, "Rada, you know what?"、Um, You should hire a professional criminal lawyer so that you won't have any criminal record in your history. So that you can, so that every time when you travel, what, whatever, your record is clean, because you want to have a clean record. Because、mm-hmm. she knows how good I am. She sees the professional side of me,、mm. and、um, so she, she said, you know, just hire a lawyer. To represent you at court, you know, do whatever you need to do. So then, then that's what I did. So I called, and then I got a a really good lawyer,、uh, who, who、um, basically got me out of trouble. I had to go to anger management class. <laughs> we had to <laughs> <laughs> we had to see couple therapy and. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like I think in America, it's. It's a. It's up to the person who was attacked if they want to press charges. Is that not the case in Australia? Because if you're, are you still seeing him after this episode? Yeah, and that's the.、Um, 
paradoxical part of him、mm. is that on one point he loved me very much and cared about me,、mm. but on the other side he had his his you know high spiritual ideals. So、mm. he was constantly conflicted,、mm. and、um, so he always cared about my where my well being. And of course, he didn't want to press charges. He、mm. called nine one one or whatever. I don't remember what their emergency call was.、Mm. He called the police、uh, because he didn't want me to hurt to harm himself, to harm him,、mm. which is the same as harming myself.、Mm. And、uh, so, eventually, I was fine. We went to court twice. And、uh, so after that first court hearing, he went to pick me up because the court was very close to where we lived, like a hundred meters away.、Mm. And then he said, "I prayed for you the whole the whole night. I chanted for you, and then、um, I saw you walking out of the police yesterday or two days ago. It was really extremely heart wrenching.、Mm. I love you. I want to be your husband again. Can you take me back?" <laughs> So like this happened a few rounds,、mm. and of course I wanted him, you know, like I loved him a lot, and、uh, so we made up, and、um, but then of course it happened again in a couple of months. Like he said, you know, I want to be a monk again, blah 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 blah, and then the last time, then I remember I was seeing my therapist, the social worker, regularly. And then my ex, so Alex, his name is Alex. He was getting depressed because we were getting because we got married. Actually, we got we had a small ceremony in Beijing、mm. in October twenty eighteen.、Mm. And、uh, when we came back from that trip in Beijing in China, he said something like, "Will you let me be a monk?" And then I repeated that question to my social worker, and then she said, and she she repeated that question to me. She、mm. said, "He asked you, will you let me?" And I said, "Yeah." And then I realized that, and then she she kind of, and then she made me realize that that marriage to him was like a prison.、Mm. And I didn't want to imprison him. I loved him as much as I wanted to be with him. I wanted to cage him to be my husband. I also loved him, which means I wanted his happiness.、Mm. And if at that time his happiness was not in the marriage, was to be a monk,、mm. to pursue whatever he wanted to pursue, then I should really let him go,、mm. because that's love. So at that time, that experience up until that time taught me that if you love someone, you should really let them do what they think is best for them, instead of what you think is best for them.、Mm-hmm. That was a big lesson, and、uh, and I'm really proud that I did it.、Uh, eventually, that、mm-hmm. I'm really proud that I let him go. Mm. Um, because I think at that time that was fairly selfless. It taught it really taught me to to accept 
Um, and then I was already a permanent resident of Canada, and I thought a lot about you know whether coming back to Canada or China because I couldn't stay in Australia because I was on a partner visa which depended on my marriage. And when my marriage ended, I couldn't really stay on a partner visa in the long term. <clears throat> and I didn't have any close friends in Australia, so I thought a lot. And then eventually, I decided to move back to Canada. So that was how was Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> one <laughs> one hour later, <laughs> that was an incredible story. Shui, thank you. Yeah, pleasure. I um, uh, when I first came back in twenty nineteen. I I talk a lot about this, but not to this much detail, but a a lot of like the rough idea. And uh, of course, over the years, I look at it differently. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good stories. A lot of like dramas and. Yeah, I hope your books translated to English one day. I'd love to read it. Um, how is your I have to ask, I suppose, like, do you still talk to him? Or what's your relationship with him like now? Right. Um, I think I should, I should talk about my Canada story then. Because, um, so I lived in Montreal for three and a half years. I had a lot of good friends in Montreal. I made a lot of good friends, but I didn't like the weather there. The winter felt a bit too rough for mm -hmm. me. So, um, a good friend of mine recommended me to come to BC, to Vancouver, because she was in Vancouver at that time, and we were roommates in Montreal. So she knew me fairly well. Mm. She's a another yogi. So she said, um, and I had some money, and he. <laughs> that's another story. So because in their lineage, they're not supposed to hold money. Mm. But just a few months before we divorced, he inherited some money from his late uncle from London. Mm. And, uh, and then he gave most of the money to me. Mm. And uh, I demanded it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he did eventually gave most of the money to me. And uh, so I had some money. And uh, and then I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know what should I do. I was completely devastated. You know, my whole... It's, it's like my whole life had to restart. And I didn't know how to restart it. And I didn't know where to restart it. But anyway, so my friend at that time said... Because I was thinking, you know, because I was this type A, you know, go, go, go. I thought maybe I should go to school or whatever. And then my friend says, why don't you just chill? Just do some karma yoga and just stay somewhere and do whatever you want to do for fun. And do some karma yoga, basically. Do some yoga. You, you like it. And just pause. Because nev I've never paused before in my life. It was always boom, 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 you know. Mm. So, so then I came here and paused, and uh, I've actually have been here almost exactly three years. 
So about almost so in June 2019, we divorced officially in Beijing, and I came here, and he went back to Thailand and became a monk again.、Hmm. And、uh, and then I came here to an ashram here. Started to I wanted to write about this whole thing, but at that time I was exhausted and it was still the wound was too raw. I couldn't really articulate it really well. I couldn't see it. It's like as if I was still in it. I couldn't see it,、mm. you know. So I did karma yoga, did some yoga courses, did a lot of healing, and.、Uh, We kept in touch a bit. He was still able to call me once a month, my ex, when he was a monk. Yeah. And、um, so every time he called, we would talk for half an hour, an hour. We were very cordial, and I could still feel his love to me, and I loved him too. And.、Uh, At the beginning of twenty twenty one, so that's about a year and a half after he became a monk again. He said, "I'm thinking of disrobing again," and、uh, and I was like, "What the fuck? I gave up everything.、Hmm. I gave up everything. I moved to Canada, you know, back to Canada for you because you wanted to be a monk, and now you." Don't want to be a monk again. <laughs> And、uh, but then he he explained a lot. He did a lot of soul searching, a lot of healing, a lot of inquiring, reflection, retrospection. And、uh, we talked a lot.、Mm. And then I'm like, okay, because I didn't want to be scarred by this experience. I still wanted to embrace life. Uh, and so, so eventually we had a long distance relationship, you know, since I guess the beginning of twenty twenty one. Yeah, and、uh, still kind of romantic, and we talked a lot, and it was very healing for both of us. We got to talk about what we did wrong, you know, when we were in Melbourne, and.、Um, Uh, and、um, and but then eventually we broke up again in the beginning of this year, twenty twenty two. So we kind of had a long distance relationship for almost a year, and then now we don't talk anymore.、Hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't see any point anymore.、Hmm. And、uh, and he's committed to being a, a monk still. No, he's back in life. Well, he was back in life. I don't know what he wants now, because、hmm. we haven't talked for three months. It feels like a long time, but it's almost three months.、Hmm. And you know, he's in Australia. It's COVID. I'm here. I like my life here.、Hmm. <clears throat> I feel like I finally found my spiritual home.、Hmm. It's not. Even it just feels like a home here. Like the ashram feels like home,、mm. not just a spiritual home. It's emotional home,、mm. and I have good friends there.、Mm. I have like 
my mother's divine mother's there. Ah, mm. uh, you know what's the point of? Yeah, there just doesn't seem to be any point of being in touch with him anymore. Mm. And、um, but the whole process taught me a lot about who I am. What do I want? What kind of life do I want? What kind of people do I want to be with? What kind of life do I want to live? A lot of that. What do I want to achieve in my life? Yeah. So that's the book. <laughs> <laughs> um. You've led an interesting life, Shui. Yeah. I think everyone's life is interesting in different ways. Mine was a little bit dramatic. I think. Maybe not a little bit. Mine was a, <laughs> mine was <a> dramatic. <laughs> all of it, or the marriage, or do you mean all of it? Not I think I think a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Ah.、Uh, well. No, I I. I think there's a lot of people with interesting lives,、um, but there's some people who who choose, and I don't want, I don't mean to pass judgment, but there's some people who choose safe things. Ah,、uh, right. Yes.、Mm. Right. I didn't do safe things. <laughs> 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 I did what I wanted. Yeah, and and a lot of that, some of that was impulsive, some of that was, I would like to say, calculated risk. Um. Yeah, I think I followed my heart. I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue what I wanted.、Mm. Some of the mistakes, some of the decisions were wrong. I remember when I went to Montreal for the first. Well, when I went to study in Montreal in 2012,、um, I had a boyfriend at that time. Who、um, anyway, he's not relevant. Anyway, so we were at airport in at an airport in Beijing, and there was a girl wearing a T-shirt that says, "Wrong decisions make good stories." <laughs> <laughs> And、uh, I don't know. I feel like I've made probably some wrong decisions, like heart. I don't know. Actually, you know what? I don't know if they were wrong. They seemed sometimes they seemed wrong or silly,、uh, but they are good stories.、Mm. I made a lot of wrong decisions that became good stories too. <laughs> right, it's a good line, right? Wrong decisions make good stories. I think so. So, what do you want to do next? I know you're writing the book, and you you're you found your community, you found your your home, maybe in this area.、Um, I know you're very committed to sort of your spiritual path. Do you like? Am I? Is that it? <laughs> am, am I paraphrasing it? Where Where do you see, like, what do you What do you want to do? Um, I think you are right. Um, so, um, at certain point, 
in a short period of my life, I wanted to be a planner, and then I realized life doesn't evolve according to my plan, and、uh, so now I don't plan as much anymore. But I do want to finish this book this year、mm. and、uh, settle down here in this small town. And、uh, I have a second book project, which is more personal.、Um, I don't want to talk about it too much.、Uh, I know what I want to write about,、uh, but it's more personal.、Mm. And meaningful, and and keep keep practicing,、um, yeah. Keep keep up with my practice, and、uh, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna <laughs> happen. I really don't know.、Uh, Play it by ear. I guess.、Mm. Yeah, I don't have any concrete plan. I want to travel more,、um, but I know right now、um, this is good for me. Like this life, what I'm doing every day, weekly, monthly, is good for me.、Um, it feels like a right thing to do.、Mm. Yeah, that's a good, good place to be in.、Um, thank you, Shrey. Pleasure. Thank、yeah. you for asking all these interesting questions. Thanks for the really interesting stories and for sharing and being so、uh, emotionally raw. I really appreciate it with your honesty and everything. Pleasure. That's the way to go. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a nice day. Bye. Thank、you